You're listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gadsden Podcast. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you're new here, my name is Michael Brandon Pierce. I say that because we have two Brandons on staff who are married to two Amandas. So uh, good luck figuring it out. But uh, I'm the pastor of children and music here, and uh, I couldn't be more happy to be part of the Bellevue family. And our senior pastor, Colt Hudson, is at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary working on his Ph.D. doctrinal work. And I want to encourage our church family just to be faithful, to pray for him during this time. Because, as I said last week, it is mentally taxing and exhausting. And last week, he had skyline chili. Yeah. Some of you said, oh, yeah, that's exactly what happened to Colt. It's, oh. Uh, so, uh, Colt, we're praying for you, and we're hoping that uh, Pepto-Bismol is doing its work. Uh, we miss you, too. So, uh, do be praying for him. And I just want to say that I- I'm thankful for Colt, not only as a pastor, but just as a friend. Uh, he- he's a man of God. He trusts the Lord. He follows him well. He's an encourager, and I'm thankful to serve alongside with him. And I'm thankful for the Hudson family and the blessing they are to us. Uh, so... Last week, I bragged on our church during announcements that I couldn't be more thankful to be a part of the work that God's doing here uh, at Bellevue. Uh, I've been a part of many churches over my life, served as a lead pastor in Kansas for a while. I've done children, youth, and worship, uh, and Bellevue is home. This is the place I feel like God uh, put the nail in, and so I will resign with a death certificate in advance one day, <laughs> if you'll have me that long, but I, uh, I absolutely love it. And there are a couple things I do love about it, and I want to say this in the beginning. I love that my children are raised in a church that rests on the Word of God and is committed to the Word, unmitigated. My children learn the Word. I'm thankful for the many volunteers and leaders that keep this church a bastion of God's grace on this mountain. And also, my kids have men and women that they can look up to, that they see serving the Lord every single week. Uh, Bellevue is an all-hands-on-deck kind of operation, and I love that about our church. And so if you like what you see here, I want to say this. Every single week, you are invited to become a member of Bellevue Baptist Church. As we sing our closing song, you can come down here to the front, and there are some very kind folks that are much more attractive than me and uh, sweeter, and they'll walk you through that process. But every single week, you can express your desire to join the church, and we would love to have you be a part of the ministry that God's uh, doing here at Bellevue. It's just incredible. So uh, again, I, I couldn't be more thankful for uh, our church. Now as we enter the Christmas season, there are many mixed emotions about this, but I'm going to say this unashamedly. I love Christmas. All right? I'm here. Yeah. Round of applause. All right. I'm here for it. Last year, I think it was like the second week in November that I had the tree up and everything for my wife. I surprised her, and I decorated early like the good Lord intended. I want to go all out. I love Christmas because Christmas is a big deal. As a believer, Jesus coming to earth to save my wretched soul is the best thing I could ever celebrate. Best thing ever. I mean, so I want to go all out when I celebrate Christmas Uh, again. Uh, because it's, it's a big deal. I even put in my notes that my personal goal is to make Clark Griswold look like a Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> go big or go home. 
And some of you say, why, why make him look like a Jehovah's Witness? If that's you, you need to take Colt's Wednesday night classes on world religions and, uh, and cults. So that would be good. Jehovah's Witnesses can't celebrate Christmas, for those of you who don't know. But anyway, I can, and I do. And I love Christmas. I can't say it enough. I mean, I think I've said it six times. I love Christmas. My mom and dad are right over here. Maybe I got some of that from them. Definitely not my dad, because... He had to assemble everything I got, but my mom uh, was the one that got to buy it. So I, I, I just absolutely love it. And there's nothing wrong with loving Christmas. There's nothing wrong with the lights. There's nothing wrong with Christmas at the falls. There's been an attempt in recent years to make people feel bad for celebrating Christmas and saying, oh, it's a pagan holiday, which I would highly debate with other people, uh, and that it was Christianized. You know, this is my father's world and everything in it belongs to him, so you don't get to hijack anything from God. So uh, we celebrate Christmas in a big way. And why all the fuss about it? Well, because it's about Jesus' arrival. You and I would be, still be dead in our sins and trespasses with no way to completely be right with God had it not been for Christmas. So this is, in fact, a big deal. This is the, the season where Christians, we set this aside to hail the creator of everyone and everything, stepping into his creation to save it from the sin that had pervasively corrupted it. So to think about a holy God coming to live here. I mean, there's some of you in this room that there's cities that you wouldn't want to move to because they're not good. The Lord left heaven to dwell in a ghetto. And he did that to save you and to save me because we needed it. So Christmas deserves our celebration. It points to our need for Christ. So there's nothing wrong with celebrating Christmas, but we have to know what Christmas is really about and keeping Christmas about Christ's arrival. One of the reasons many people have so much stress around Christmas is because they're not celebrating the right thing. You know, Christmas isn't about the best sale at Martin's. Christmas isn't about the 60% door buster at Belk, which they do have right now, by the way. Uh, so. <laughs> and there are some men in this room, just because we give presents at Christmas, you've got 21 days, fellas, to get on it right now, okay? So, and do not buy her anything kitchen-related, all right? Unless she wants it, like, but don't do that, okay? I'm trying to save some of you. So Christmas is about Jesus, and we keep that... Uh, in perspective because it shows us our deepest need. Our deepest need as individuals is to be reconciled back to God. Again, when Jesus came, he transcended the barrier of heaven and entered into the creation that was corrupted because we have a complete inability to save ourselves. And Jesus' arrival presented him as the once-for-all true and sufficient sacrifice for sin. That's why there's no more striving anymore to be justified with God because Jesus accomplished it all. We don't strive to be justified. We strive to be sanctified, to live like Christ. And that's why I love the lyrics we sang earlier, Enjoy to the World. He comes to make his blessings known as far as the curse is found. So where do we see the effects of sin and the curse? Everywhere. But where does the grace of God extend because of Christmas? There isn't a sliver of the universe that Christ's dominion does not rush into with superabundance. He is the Lord of all. 
And we celebrate that. You know, it's good news because all of us are alienated from God and intrinsically uh, in need of reconciliation to him. Romans 5.12 says it this way, Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. The original sin of Adam and Eve, our greatest grandparents, has imputed a sinful nature into all of their descendants. And anyone who has ever had a child said, Amen. You don't have to teach them to sin. They are born sinners. You know, uh, I joked about this with Rosalind, but a couple weeks ago, Rosalind had Carrie in here, and she's so cute, and her daddy's preaching his sermon, and he's doing a good job, and Carrie starts fussing, and she wants out. She throws her cookie on the ground. I'm loving it from over there, uh, but, you know, Rosalind has a different opinion right here. And as soon as Rosalind stood up, to take Kiri out. What did Kiri do? She looks at this whole side of the building and she says, hi. Like, <laughs> so it's like, I'm not content at all. My whole world is a wreck until you give me what I want. And it's, hey, what's up, guys? Like, just see it. And, and it, it was cute, but it was a little act of depravity. I was like, there, she's manipulating to get what she wants. My kids have done it. Um, I could share things with you that I'm not proud of with my kids. Uh, but, and, uh, we have to be saved because we're alienated. We're enemies of God's what the word says. Dr. Stephen Lawson said the fundamental problem of the human race isn't outside of us, but it's what's inside of us. Dr. Vody Bauckham said, I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I am a sinner. It's the sin welling out of me that causes me and drives me to sin. In Christ's arrival, he came to give me a new nature, a new desire. Again, that desire for sanctification. And that victory against the war that we feel within us with our sin, it began at Advent. In Galatians 4, 4 through 5, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, a woman born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, despite this, the majority of folks will reject the free grace of God because they're lured and distracted by what 1 John 2 says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. They seek satisfaction outside of Jesus. At Christmas, they celebrate the wrong thing. And I want to make this clear. One thing I love about the grace of God is that when Jesus came to provide himself as a provisionary sacrifice on my behalf, he didn't die to save me from my mess-ups. He didn't die to save me from my mistakes. He didn't die to save me from my low self-esteem. Jesus came and died. Church, hear this. Jesus came and died to absorb the wrath of God on your behalf that you could stand before him, as First Colossians says, with boldness, knowing that he's not going to smear you like a bug because Jesus intercedes at his right hand for you. That you can approach the throne of God with boldness and Jesus says, no, 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 this one's mine. This one's mine. My blood's all over him. That is our greatest need. But we get distracted by the wrong stuff. And as long as we deny that intrinsic need, we can't acknowledge our pitiful condition. 
Early hymn writers spoke bluntly about our nature. Isaac Watts called himself a worm. John Newton referred to himself in Amazing Grace as a what? That saved a wretch like me. Jonathan Edwards referred to the average person as vile and corrupted creatures. In 1950, Basil Manley Jr. wrote one of my favorite hymns called, Lord, I Deserve Thy Deepest Wrath. And he says this, Lord, I deserve thy deepest wrath. Ungrateful, faithless I have been. No terrors have my soul deterred, nor goodness wooed me from my sin. My heart is vile, my mind depraved, my flesh rebels against thy will. I am polluted in thy sight, yet thou had mercy on me still. I'm a wretch, I'm a worm, I'm pitiful, I'm helpless. But you don't see that kind of language in our self-help driven culture. If you said that in church, man, I'm just a worm, you would have, especially in a women's Bible study, you would have 14 women say, girlfriend, don't talk about yourself like that. Like, that negative speech needs to stop. I mean, you do that in a men's Bible study, they'd be like, yeah, sounds about right. Uh, uh, if the pants fit, you better wear them, buddy. So, uh, but no, we, 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 we don't like to speak about ourselves in a true way. Instead, the the social experiment going on right now is that you need to live your truth as if you could have your own reality. You know, and I'm not going to play in that playground. Uh, there is the truth, and his name is Jesus. In our culture, you're, we're encouraged to be who we feel like we're supposed to be instead of abiding by God's word and who he's designed and redeemed us to be. And look where this social experiment has gotten us. It's led to an abortion holocaust the perversion of marriage, the rejection of basic biology and gender, and now an open, aggressive sexualization and predatory incursion on our children. If ever there was a need to see, or a time to see our need of Jesus, it is right now. Drag queen story hours, mutilating our babies, Teens going in to have their bodies mutilated because they're being wooed and convinced that they should be something they're not. This is pure evil. And as Christians, we're called to stand up against this because we have this need that we recognize. If you open your Bibles, uh, would you open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5? I want to spend just a little bit of time to look at Advent in light of the need that we have and what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 2 and then 8 through 11. Therefore, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in this way, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then? Since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were his enemies, 
we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, we need you. Every waking moment and minute of rest, we need you. We ask that you would meet with us this morning and speak through your word with authority and power. And I pray that you would give help to this preacher, that you would strengthen this church with your Holy Spirit, that you would make us kingdom-minded and unified. We lift up those at this time who are ill and in need of your healing. Lord, would you be upon them. Lord, I lift up the brokenhearted, that they would have your peace. I pray for your protection of our marriages and families. I pray that you guard us from the enemy's attacks and help us be mindful and vigilant in keeping your commands and laws. And finally, Lord, I want to thank you for Jesus. Lord, thank you for our Lord. Thank you for what he has accomplished, not only on the cross, but the empty grave at your right hand and as he comes back again. For our freedom... We will forever give you thanks and praise. And I pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said together, amen. So the Apostle Paul ends the fourth chapter of Romans by pointing to God's covenant with Abraham. And we learn that Abraham was credited as righteous through faith, just as you and I will be. And this gives us peace with God. And the only possible way to have that is because Jesus came to fulfill God's law perfectly and present himself to himself as an appropriate sacrifice for our sins. We do not have grace by our works, amen? Because we don't have the ability. God is never indebted to us. God never owes us anything. But rather, he gives freely without merit, And it's only because of his loving kindness that we are freed from the bondage and ultimate penalty of death. The second point today, the first one, was that Advent points to our need. Advent reveals who our master is. Notice in verse 1 it says that we have peace through our Lord. The word through there literally means channeled through. So we have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the word Lord there, the word Kyria, like little Kyria walking around, uh, the word Kyria there means master. So if you've grown up in church uh, for any fraction of time, you've heard Jesus referred to as Lord. You've heard God referred to as the Lord. The Lord is good. The Lord is faithful. You've heard that a lot. You've heard people say the good Lord. But this Lord being the master means one that exercises complete and total ownership. That's why in Matthew 6, 24, that he says, many people are going to call me Lord, master, but I'm going to tell them to depart from me because I never knew them. In other words, those people never, never submitted to the complete ownership of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus has to be our Lord. He has to be our Master. That's why you cannot kind of be a Christian. Uh, often when I'm in an evangelistic situation, I'll ask someone if they're a Christian, and I've gotten that response, kind of. I'm like, well, you can't kind of be on fire. Like, you, you either are or you're not. 
But we live in this, this age, the fancy word is syncretism, where people believe I can follow two opposing ideas and put them together. We have churches here in Etowah County that promote conflicting ideas. They talk about the lordship of Jesus, but then they say you can live however you want. And at Bellevue, when I say being committed to the word, we have to be people that are of the book and under the book. We have to be under the authority of the word of God. So Jesus has to exercise complete ownership of our lives. And that's why every person, the most important thing you could ever realize or answer is, is Jesus your Lord or are you lost? There is no in-between. Is he your Lord or are you lost? You very well may call him Lord, but he may not be your Lord. And I misspoke earlier when I said that was in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, 24, Jesus says that you cannot serve two masters. You'll love one or hate the other. So you can't serve Jesus and something else. It's in chapter 7 of Matthew uh, Matthew seven twenty two that he says that many will call me Lord and I'll tell them to depart from me because I never knew them. So Advent exposes who our master really is. What we celebrate about Christmas shows who our master is. The third point I'd like to make is this. Advent gives every believer assurance. I was sharing with my wife a while back that when I was a teenager, I really wrestled with this idea of Christ coming back again. So you know, in church, we would talk about the second coming, we'd talk about the rapture, we'd talk about all kinds of uh, things that are highly debated on how it's going to happen. Uh, but one thing's for sure, Jesus is coming back. And I went through a phase where it was really hard for me to believe that he's really going to come back. Like the, cry, the sky's going to crack open like lightning, he's going to appear, he's going to come for his bride. I thought, well, maybe that's not really going to happen. And then I remember in my room, I was reading my Bible, I was probably 18 years old, and I thought, well, why would I believe he would come a first time but not believe he would come a second time? Especially when he walked out of his own grave. So we have assurance as believers because Christ came. In verse 2 of Romans 5, it says that we have access to God by his grace that allows us to be steadfast and secure. So we stand on the grace that we've been given. When I talked about assurance, the word stand there means to make a stand, to be established firmly. Jesus' definitive atonement for us allows us to stand and fight against worldly ideologies, the sin that is in us, and allows us to pursue holiness. It also provides us the security to know that he is with us to the end of the age. He guaranteed that himself. Now, when it comes to Jesus securing us, this is worth boasting about. And boasting, when you hear someone say, you know, I'm going to be boastful about something, that causes a knee-jerk reaction like, oh, that's bad. Well, it's bad to boast in yourself because you don't have anything to boast about. You know, the Bible says that our good works are as filthy rags to the Lord. So, I mean, you showing Jesus what all good you did is like the cat bringing you a dead mouse, and you're like patting it, like, look at that. And Jesus is like, oh, get that out of my kitchen. You know, uh, so uh, 
Maybe the Lord has a kitchen. Who knows? But this assurance leads us to boast because boastfulness, the literal definition is this, and he gets this in verse 11, is talking with excessive pride and self-satisfaction about one's achievements, possessions, or abilities. And as we sing the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, we sing these words, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. So as Christians, we don't boast in ourselves. We have pride and satisfaction with what Jesus has achieved, his possession of our souls, and the salvation that he's given. We don't boast in ourselves, but man, we champion Jesus like crazy for the whole world to see. And he guarantees in his word that if he is lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself. So the more you and I boast about Jesus, boast about Jesus, lift him up, lift him up higher and higher and higher, others see that. And then the Lord supernaturally draws those people to himself. It's incredible. It's incredible because he would use a failure, a wretch, a worm, a turd like me pardon my language, to draw people to himself. It's amazing. And in verse 6 we see, this is the echo in Galatians 4, that at the right time, the fullness of time, when we were still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. It's important for you and I to see that Jesus didn't die for us when we became savable or when you quote-unquote got your act together. Again, you don't have that Ability. That's why your diet's going to start tomorrow. That's why the number one section in bookstores is what? Self-help. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. While the nutrition section gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, we don't have that ability. Jesus gave himself for you. Church, please hear me when I say this. Jesus gave himself for you when you were at your very worst While you were still sinning, while you were still his enemy, he gave himself for you. And this is, to me, better news. He has no buyer's remorse. He knew exactly what he was getting into. I've said this for years, and I will continue to say it uh, for years as I preach. Jesus never looked into the future and was shocked by anything that you've ever done. I did not see that coming. The Lord has never said that one time. He knew the vilest things about you, and he still absorbed the wrath of God, pouring out his blood on Galgotha's cross for you to be made right with him. And so we lift him up. Ephesians 1, 4 says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him, and then in verse 7 it continues, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. My assurance comes completely from Jesus. The fourth point I'd like to make is that Advent gives us new life. In verse 8, Paul reiterates what he said in verse 6, that God exhibits his love for us uh, by dying for us and giving himself while we were still sinners, and he came to save us from the wrath of God. In Ephesians 2, 3 through 5, it says, We too previously lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Whose wrath? 
God's wrath. So again, when I said earlier, Jesus doesn't just save me from my problems. He saves me from the wrath of God. Too many times, Christians, we talk about hell like it's this unmanaged, unsupervised place. Well, where does the fire come from? Who made hell? The Lord did. And his wrath pours out for eternity, never ending in hell. And God saved you from that. I'm telling you right now, every morning you wake up and you take a breath, you should drop to your knees and say, oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Over and over. If someone right now, right here in front of Jack's, pulled you out in front of a moving vehicle, like pulled you out of its way and saved your life, you would send them cards every year. You would be indebted to them forever. You would never forget that person. And Jesus absorbed the full wrath of God and we can go six weeks without saying a single prayer. I'm not trying to browbeat anybody, but I'm preaching to me. Jesus saved me from the wrath of God. He deserves my everything. Given me a new life. And because of his great love, which he loved us, verse 5, of Ephesians 2 says that when we were dead in our wrongdoings, he made us alive together with Christ, and by grace you have been saved. So we are born again with a need of reconciliation because we're under the wrath and judgment of God. And again, Christ provided our greatest need while we were his enemies. When I was a kid, I would hear this illustration a lot. And it sounds right, but it's not. And ex salvation was explained to me this way. It's like you're out in the ocean, and you know, my mom and I last night were talking about that guy from Alabama that fell off a cruise ship and was out there for like 23 hours, and he was butt naked when they found him and everything, and he dumped his shoes to save weight. It was just wild. Uh, alcohol was involved in this process. Surprise, surprise. Uh, but uh, he, he's out there, and he's in the middle of the ocean, and then a freighter comes by or something, and they see him, and they rescue him, you know. So this was the illustration given to me when I was a kid. It's like you're out in the ocean, you're just treading water, you're about to drown and stuff, and at just the right time, a boat pulls up and they throw a life preserver to you. And that's Jesus, and he gives you salvation. Here's where that illustration falls short, and it's wrong. In Ephesians 2, it says that we were what in our sin and trespasses? Someone say it loud. Louder. Dead. You were dead. If that illustration was true, you would be dead in the ocean and that life preserver would hit your cold, dead body. But Jesus, through his supernatural grace, regenerates you, gives you life in order to even accept him, to profess faith in him. The word says that you can't even profess Jesus as Lord unless the Spirit allows you to do it. So Jesus rescues us while we were still children of wrath. Man, I'm telling you, if we were in my church growing up, people would be amen and there would be hankies in the air. People would be just going buck wild about this because this is true. It gets me fired up, which leads me to my last point is that Advent, Christmas, fuels our worship. The worth that I give to Jesus is directly related to how worthy I think he is. There are times on this stage when I lead worship 
I'm telling you guys, I want to let her rip so bad. I mean, I, I want to do things that would scare most of you Southern Baptist folks. I mean, I am a Southern Baptist, but we were raised what we call Baptocostal up in Sand Mountain. So we had a little hint of fire to us, a little cayenne pepper in the mix, all right? But I get so excited. You know, when we sing uh, In Christ Alone, that up from the grave he rose again, there are times I've sang that in church, and I've looked out the congregation, and people worship differently in their hearts. People worship differently with their mouths. Um, but as we sing that song, I look at people and they're like, up from the grave, he rose again. And in my mind, I'm like, say what? Up from the grave, he rose again. I guarantee you, you wouldn't roll tide like that. You wouldn't, you wouldn't war eagle. I'm war eagling in my heart. I'm, I'm roll tiding in my heart right now, you guys. Like, but when we get to church, man, don't you dare express joy in the fact that while you were an enemy of God, he rescued you into his loving hands. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, y'all, y'all loosen up. It's all right. So what happened at the first Christmas was the fulfillment of anticipation from Adam and Eve's original sin in the garden until sin met its death through the blood of Jesus Christ as he laid his life down on a Roman cross. And all I can do in response to that is just worship. Just worship. And not right now, but here in just a minute, we're going to sing Grace Greater Than Our Sin. And in that song, we should just be overwhelmed with gratitude for what the Lord has done. Christ has come. Christ has died. He is risen. He is reigning. And Christ is going to come back again. Thanks be to God for Christmas. We've got much to be thankful for and to celebrate. And church, I want you to remember Jesus, to cherish him. I pray this Christmas season, every time you see a Christmas tree, you're reminded of the cross that Jesus bore your sin. When you see its lights flicker and like these lights here, that you're reminded of the light of Christ and that darkness cannot overcome it, that you're filled with awe and wonder, and that you're thankful that while you were his enemy, he poured his love out on you. And with that, again, I say, Merry Christmas. If you aren't saved through Jesus Christ, we invite you to surrender to him today. Amanda, if you want to go ahead and come on up. If you haven't been following Jesus as your master and Lord, right now is the time to repent and follow him as he deserves. I'm here to pray with you. Others are here to pray with you. If you'd like to join our church, you're free to come up. Uh, won't you stand with me as we pray? Lord, again... The love that you've shown is incredible. So I pray that you take away our pride. You show us our need for your mercy. You show us your willingness to give us forgiveness. We recognize that we are undeserving sinners saved by your grace. And I pray that our lives would forever reflect your glory. It's in the name of Jesus Christ I pray this. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gadsden Podcast. We would love for you to join us on campus for worship Sunday mornings at 1045. We look forward to seeing you. Have a great week.